Welcome to 10 Minutes, a Breakout Investor Podcast. Today, we are talking about Crossroads Systems, ticker CRSS. Today's episode is a special one. Crossroads issued a letter today providing guidance on the company's capital allocation plans post receipt of an enormous windfall of revenue and earnings related to the latest round of the Paycheck Protection Program. Joining me to discuss the company's letter and interpret its meaning are Aaron Warwick, Rimi Malhotra, Mark Gomes, and Brian Robson. We are gonna get a discussion going. Because we are taking a team approach, this call is likely to go more than the usual 10 minutes. First, a disclaimer. No one on this call is an investment advisor. No one is providing investment advice. Before investing in any company's stock, you must do your own research. Supporting materials for today's discussion will be posted on the Breakout Investors Discussion app, which is located at app.breakoutinvestors.com. The application and much of the research content is free. After registering and logging in, use the search bar at the top right of any page, type in the ticker, and the results will give you a link to the research post with this podcast and to other discussion and research relating to today's company. Now on to our topic, Crossroads, CRSS. Aaron, would you mind getting us started, uh, briefing everyone on the news that came out this morning? Sure, Scott. Uh, We've talked about uh, Crossroads here on an episode in the past, and just to give a little bit of background for everyone to refresh people's memory, uh, Crossroads has a subsidiary, Capital Plus Financial, that's based in Dallas, Texas, and they are a CDFI, a Community Development Financial Institution, and a certified B Corp uh, that supports Hispanic home ownership with a long-term fixed rate, single family mortgage product. Why we got interested so much in Crossroads, or at least the breakout investors community at large got interested in Crossroads is because of their work with the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, and what we thought would be a windfall of cash coming their way uh, because of, of that program and their initiation of loans uh, with people who were requesting loans from the Small Business Administration. And so it turns out, you know, we, we ran some numbers. I have a Seeking Alpha uh, piece on this. Uh, we shared some numbers in our community. And ultimately, uh, you know, give or take, we, we were essentially right. They had, a, they had a big windfall of money come their way. And this morning, they announced not uh, specifically, but you can read into it how much money uh, they're going to have in addition to uh, the fact that they are going to be offering a special dividend. And so the short end of it, uh, Scott, is this. Uh, This morning they announced they're going to have a special dividend. It's payable, I think it's July 29th, towards the end of this month. It's going to be $40 per share. Keep in mind that uh, yesterday, I believe the stock closed at $45 or $46 per share. So they've got a special dividend coming. They're going to have $120 million of cash on hand after that dividend. And um, that equates with 6 million shares outstanding, equates to just over $20 per share that they'll have in cash on hand. And then in addition to that, you know, one thing we want to factor in, and we can discuss this more, is their fundamental underlying business, which was, was very strong uh, going into the PPP uh, program and now is going to be even stronger uh, coming out of that. Perfect. Perfect. So uh, 40 $40 per share is going to go out. How did the stock trade today? Well, the stock was up on the news, as you can imagine. Um, you know, in the morning, there was really actually a really good buying opportunity. I know some people in our community, 
because, you know, I think the reason that some of us hadn't bought more before, I mentioned this in the Seeking Alpha article piece, it's one of those deals that just sounds too good to be true. Most of us made sure that we didn't, you know, feel like we're over allocated. And so, uh, but today, you know, now we know what happened because they, they announced it. And so we were prepared for that. And it was a good buying opportunity this morning. The stock was only up about, oh, I don't know, five to 10% at some times. And then it, it, it went up as high, I believe as, uh, 20 to 30 percent up today. I mean, was it 30 percent up almost? Well, I know the high was between 60 and 61. Brian, could you talk a little bit about the the analytics we did uh, and uh, the couple stages of the company releasing the information, how you traded it and what you're doing going forward? As Aaron has documented, you can you can simply do the math in terms of the number of loans they've funded and that and the cash value that is that is coming their way. You know, initially the question was what exactly the the sharing arrangement would be and whether it was going to be 30%, 40%. And so there was that level of uncertainty, but the opportunity was still there and the investment still made sense. Then we had the uh, uh, the first quarter earnings. And at that point in time, you imputed that they were essentially getting a 35% share and there was no reason to believe that they wouldn't get a different share for the remaining the remainder of loans that would be funded in the second quarter. So to me, my confidence got greater and I invested further knowing that the upside wasn't as great as, as we had originally thought, but the certainty level was, was certainly there. And I think that same scenario exists now because once you have that return of capital of $40 a share, in percentile terms, the return that you can make from this point forward is still robust, which is why I, for example, haven't uh, sold a share yet. What uh, what kind of price target are you looking for in the short term and the longer term? Well, I think that, uh, you know, so we have the $40 uh, cash distribution. We have the $20 of liquidity. And then we were at uh, a business value of, I'll say, a minimum of $8 before they entered into the PPP loan. And now, given that they have additional cash and, addis- and additional capabilities and additional business enhancement opportunities, it's hard to believe that you wouldn't view the inherent business as being at least worth $10 as well. So it's hard to think that you're not closer to a $70 value. Uh, Does anybody uh, have any opinion as to why the stock is trading for still after uh, the the quarterly earnings and after this release, news about the big uh, distribution, big dividend? Why is this thing still trading for such a significant discount? Uh, I'll I'll take a stab at that, which is, I think the original or one of the original thesis was there was a potential for the company to take a much bigger split uh, of the origination fee than actually turned out to be the case. And if that had happened and, you know, there was a lot of optimists, me included, uh, that thought, thought that was a, there was a very high possibility that would result in, you know, could have resulted in a stock between a hundred and $200. And so it would be a combination of a bigger split, but when, 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 the PP program came sort of on everybody's radar screen and you can map it from one week to another week. And if you straight line that trajectory, like you could take all those data points and get to a $200 stock price. And that was taking the high case and sort of every variable. And I think people came into the stock based on that. 
And, you know, when that didn't materialize, even though it was still an attractive investment, there's people to, that just want out. And yeah. I think getting out of that population. Patience is called for here. That That's all you need to um, see, see, the, see your way to a higher stock price. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, uh, I think it was Brian who uh, said it first, which is, or, or maybe Aaron, it's, listen, there's $60 of cash. And this morning, the stock opened at 46 and, and traded in the 50s most of the day and closed in the 50s the day. So, you know, we can arm wrestle all you want on um, the value of these future businesses, but 40 of that 60 is coming back to you. Um, and, you know, in that, beyond just the economics of that, uh, the management and board have demonstrably shown you that they're shareholder friendly and aligned. And so let's, let's say the $20 that stay there is, is worth at least $20. And then, you know, we can arm on whatever the other businesses are worth. Um, but you know, that's, uh, you're quote unquote getting them for free. So I feel p- perfectly comfortable being patient here. I agree with Remy that, uh, I think, you know, there's, there's uh, certain people that maybe had higher expectations, but also I think it's just natural. I mean, you know, it was up 30% today. Uh, so some of these people that got in at lower levels or even some of them that got in at higher levels and had watched it sink, uh, were just ready to get out. They had a nice return in a short amount of time. Uh, you know, I mean, if you annualize, if someone got in last week, and, and, you know, they got the 30% return on their money in a week, you annualize that it's, it's a heck of a return. And so they're not going to stick around for, you know, five, 10, $15 on this and, and how long that might take to play out. But, you know, Scott and I, we've also discussed this many times, there tends to be a lag, especially with these, you know, with small caps, but here you're talking, you know, what was essentially a micro cap um, before this PPP program. So, you know, I think it takes a while for the news to get out, for people to digest it. I think their press release was, um, you know, could have been a little bit more clear. I contacted IR and they were very responsive. I gave them credit for that, you know, to make sure uh, that I that I got the correct ex-dividend date, which is next Friday, uh, the 15th. And, um, you know, that wasn't in the press release. And then they said that there was $120 million of liquidity that they would have after that dividend. And I just made sure. When you say 120 million of liquidity, is that the same thing as saying cash? And they said, yes, that is. They'll have 120 million of cash. So I think it takes people time to digest this. And Scott, I'll point out, sorry, just one one final point I'll make on this is, uh, you know, after the first um, uh, report, right, you see a lot of volume, but like, you know, the stock might afterwards, a thousand shares a day. And so somebody, even if they believe the story, just says, hey, I'm seeing some liquidity and I might not see it for a while. And I just want to take advantage of it. Mark, I I wonder if we could get you on this about market efficiency versus inefficiency. People are selling dollar bills for less than a dollar right now. How do you think about that? Well, that's that's happening all the time in the stock market. And, you know, if, if that wasn't happening, then we wouldn't be able to make as much money. Most investors, particularly those involved with smaller cap stocks like these, you know, when you don't have a large institutional uh, component in the shareholder base, uh, you have a higher degree of chance that people don't really understand what the entity is worth. You know, most of the investors I know now 
uh, go off of either intuition or charts uh, as opposed to doing the math. So, you know, if, if you're the type of person that does the math, uh, like we're doing on the call here, we're in the great minority. So what's important to do uh, in that case is, is to just recognize that, know that, uh, have faith, build conviction in your math and just wait for the market to kind of catch up uh, to, to your way of thinking to, to the math. All right. So this company is going to pay out the 40. The stock price will drop theoretically $40. So it'll go from 60 to 20. Uh, everybody at that point will have a lower price entry. Um, they'll have money in their pockets uh, the, and uh, the company will be worth zero. What, what, does anybody have a prediction for what we're going to see basically the end of, uh, end of July going into August? How is this thing going to trade? How does one make money on it? How, how does one trade this uh, smart? Well, it's hard to predict how the stock will react because obviously in the short term, it's all about supply and demand. Um, you know, there may be a group of people that wait to get the dividend and decide they want to move on from the stock after that, regardless of knowing you know, what the value of the underlying asset is. So there could be pressure under the stock or the opposite where um, the perception of the lower priced entity um, makes it maybe appear attractive to folks uh, just from, from an optic standpoint. Uh, and then the third potential option is that people, if you look at it now, right, you're paying close to $60 a share for something that we think should be trading for uh, $70 uh, or maybe a little bit more. Now, if we get that $40 dividend from $60, that takes us down to $20 for an entity that we think should be trading at $30 or more. There's a big difference in percentages. So um, from 20 to 30, you can make 50% almost instantaneously if the, if the company gets uh, revalued uh, based on the cash and the underlying value of the asset versus uh, the relatively small amount that you can get today. Now, of course, that's all gonna happen in just a few weeks, but that's not how the average investor thinks. So uh, we'll see how it plays out and I, I suspect that if the uh, stock is trading at 20, when the dividend goes off, that there'll be folks out there letting people know uh, this thing is trading for cash and it should be trading for, you know, probably $10 above cash. Brian, gain uh, I, I think uh, Mark answered the question perfectly, uh, but what it sets up for is this is the company, this is the opportunity that just keeps on giving. Uh, the market inefficiencies keep giving a person a chance to uh, double down or trade around this uh, position. Because I've been doing the math, I haven't been trading around this one. I've just held on to everything, knowing that it's 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 got uh, another ten dollars in it or more. And so I can't trade around it because I'm afraid I'm gonna I'm gonna be uh, caught short without the shares. I think you're in the same situation. Uh, are, is is there a, something you can say to improve upon the opportunity that Mark uh, just described? No, I, I think what Mark summarized is uh, is spot on. There is always, you know, there is liquidity concerns. I think before the PPP program began, I think they only had 50 shareholders. And I'm sure many of those were insiders. So your ability to exit is somewhat limited. But I, you know, just myself take the perspective, if I am very confident as to the value, uh, then I'm going to hang in there. And in this case, not only did we know we had a minimum of $8 of book value or $8 of you know net asset value, business value before the PPP program, 
But the market dynamics in Texas, where they operate principally, have done nothing but improve. And if you read the shareholder letter, letter you'll see the bullishness that is in that letter. So um, obviously, I'd, I'd like to get the full value, but I'm, I'm also comfortable holding it as well. But you segued perfectly. I want to go to Remy, who's been in this company for a couple of years. He told me about it at least a year ago. And uh, he was the one that uh, signaled to the rest of the community the opportunity here. Remy, uh, what, what do you think about the company's future? Uh, uh, what do you think about the opportunity in Texas and beyond? And uh, what's your long-term view of, of the investment opportunity? So, you know, I've been in this for a number of years, but if Scott told the whole truth, I, I was part of the, the opportunity here that went bankrupt. So cross, call this Crossroads 2.0. I was in Crossroads 1. It went bankrupt. And just as a post-reorg, as, as the shares were going to be sold, I, I paused to figure out, you know, what I was about to sell and figured out I was sitting on a great opportunity and then backed up the truck. So, you know, it wasn't all rose away. But anyways, going to Scott's point here, um, insiders own 80% of the company. Uh, they effectively only came quote unquote public to take advantage of a large net operating loss that was generated by the previous company. And uh, those same insiders have not sold a share. Um, so, you know, the real float is only 20% of the total share count. Um, and, you know, every data point that we see, um, they run it, you know, with an owner's mindset. And uh, I'm very disappointed they didn't get this bank charter. Uh, but, you know, the flip side of that is they've shown us, hey, we didn't get the bank charter. That was the opportunity to absorb all this capital. We don't have that opportunity. So here's shareholders. Here's all the capital back. And so um, for all those reasons, I feel perfectly comfortable like holding this maybe above what the math says. And I ascribe that well above to quote unquote option value. And I think one thing that we haven't talked about in the letter, they talk about this national loan platform, alternative lending platform. Presumably that's the $120 million that they held back because they don't need that capital for the core business. So, you know, I think um, there's a second act here. And if we give this uh, team and board credit for what they've accomplished, uh, you know, that, that option, I believe, is highly likely to go in the money. Now, that's above and beyond the opportunity for them to continue to grow their existing business, right? That, absolutely, right. And that's the only reason. I mean, that's the breadcrumb, right? So if you look at the quote-unquote old business, core business, right, they fund that growth uh, through issuing, you know, high credits to other banks, right? They don't need capital, Um to fund the growth of that business. It's not capital constrained, it's constrained by product. They can't get enough raw houses. Um, so that business doesn't need capital, it's generating excess capital. So then the question becomes, why did they retain that 120? Well, I think they gave you the breadcrumb, like here's this alternative lending platform. Um, we believe by virtue of retaining the capital uh, that we generate a return that we deem acceptable in my experience with this company is their, their bogey is 15 to 20% with a low leverage. So feel free anyone uh, to ask me a question or uh, take it in another direction. Yeah. Looking at the tax treatment, um, you know, 
this could be treated uh, a multitude of ways and uh, looking into some of what was said earlier, um, it, it looks like there's a, a really good chance that a, a good portion is dividend, or most of it should be return, uh, a return of capital is how it would be treated, which means that your cost basis would go lower uh, along with the $40 dividend, you, your cost basis would go down 40. Um, and then you don't get taxed until you sell the stock. So what's interesting here is that obviously when the dividend goes through, everybody's position will instantly go down uh, by two thirds. So you'll only have to hold a, a smaller piece, you know, if you want to hold on to this asset for a full year and get the long-term tax benefit, uh, you won't have to tie up nearly as much money as, uh, you know, as you would at, at this point in time. That's a good point. Remy, did you want to talk at all about um, why you got into this investment in the first place? You, you just spoke uh, well about uh, the breadcrumb, the new business opportunity. Uh, you, you've got uh, great um, respect and investment appreciation for the, the, the core business of turning over properties. Uh, is, is there really such a shortage that they couldn't double, triple, quadruple the size of the underlying operations, maybe leveraging some of this additional capital? maybe um, higher, uh, expanding their, their personnel and footprint? Um, so, you know, I think they referenced some of this in the letter. I think, uh, again, I don't believe it's capital constrained, right? It's, it's body constrained and, and product constrained, right? And it's, it's getting, um, you know, they're catering to a certain demographic, um, a, you know, which both has geographic limitations, i.e. this, you know, distance to, um, you know, dense urban working centers where, where, where jobs are, uh, limits where they can buy houses. They have price points, you know, that fit their model and, and you know, are still affordable to the demographic they want to hit. And so that's what's limiting them. But in the last couple of years, they've, you know, they bought raw land in McAllen, um, you know, something they referenced in a previous letter. They bought a pool of rental properties, which was which were distressed because you know during the height of the pandemic there was a moratorium on evictions, and so you know people who large multifamily properties uh, there was uncertainty there, right? And uh, so they picked up quite a few portfolios there, and they're converting those to basically condos, um, and so they're finding creative ways to sort of expand. Um, throughput, so, so to speak, of, of uh, their, their core product. But what attracted me to the opportunity was uh, you've got, you know, a business that makes sense to me. I believe it's default. It has very attractive unit economics. And most importantly, relative to the size of this company, um, it can redeploy its earnings at those same growth rates for the next three decades, right? And uh, you know, when I originally came in, I sort of put an asterisk um, on the investment idea, which was, hey, you know, they're a regulator's darling. They're, they're increasing the stock of affordable housing in low and moderate income communities. And, and you know, that's the virtue of their FI. And that's all, you know, great from regula a regulatory point of view. But I think we just saw that regulatory halo sort of for lack of a better term, go like go golden. And, um, you know, the government through the SBA or, you know, whoever it was said, you know, CDFIs, you're going to get a one month head start at the beginning and a one month tail 
where everybody else gets off the field, right? And so uh, I thought was just a little bit of extra gravy, gravy just became lightning. And, you know, the company was smart enough to grab it, not let go. And now I believe they're going to be even smarter to take that capital and, and, and pivot it into a whole new, um, you know, business line. That is a fantastic way to conclude our 10 minutes podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. We are breakout investors. This podcast is meant as an easy on-ramp to understanding today's company and the research and collaboration we do. Please join us for discussion on this podcast and for other breakout ideas on our discussion platform at app.breakoutinvestors.com. Neither Breakout Investors nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty, express or implied, as the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information presented by this podcast and any liability, including respect to direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, therefore is expressly disclaimed. The views on this podcast expressed are those of the speaker and not Breakout Investors. No one on this podcast is an investment advisor and no one is providing investment advice. Before investing in any company's stock, you must do your own research. Thank you for listening.